Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie here in Phillip Island. And we've got a lot to recount after the opening round of the World SPK season. We've seen pretty much three of the best races that uh, myself and Gordo can remember. We've seen the season start off with an absolute classic that's got everyone talking about superbike racing. Two riders that won races haven't changed to different bikes, three different winners, five different manufacturers in the top five in the grid. Gordo, wasn't a bad weekend. That is the most fun watching and the most exciting weekend that we've had in World Superbike for many, many a moon. And all three races, not just one of them or two of them or, or one memorable one, the whole thing. Um, and it was it was magnificent entertainment. Everybody's raving about it. Uh, I've been getting messages from people telling me how great it is from back home. Um, it, it was just thrilling. The whole thing was thrilling and it made me feel 25 years younger. 25 years younger Gordo so you were right back to when you started in World SPK uh, even before even before but no it was it was absolutely there was a wee flutter all day yesterday and waiting oh, oh, over the weekend in general but on Saturday and then Sunday can, can Sunday be as good as Saturday and then after race one can, can, can we get three really good races it was just exciting the adrenaline was on even for old hacks like me yeah, whenever you're sitting there watching it, and especially race one, when you see all this battling and you think, well, oh, it's been a while since we've had some bike race and then this is what we end up getting it back with. Yeah, it seems like we've got all those years in the one weekend. We've, all the things <laughs> that we're missing all went in there. I mean, how many passes? If you were trying to do that, you know, with pen and paper old school, you'd be filling a book. It was amazing. And every and safe and hard and, yeah, people banging at each other and stuff. Nobody was moaning about it after they were all like, yeah, it was a bit on the edge sometimes, but then they started, even the riders were completely enthusiastic about the, the whole scene they were involved in. And yeah, part of that's to do with Phillip Island, okay, fine, at the beginning, but it went all the way, you know? We, we really had contests right across the line and all three races, quite amazing. And bizarrely, this is the thing that got me, if my memory serves me right, I think that sprint race was actually the one with the biggest gap but with the front guys, the longer races were actually slightly closer gaps. It's all relative. They're all very close. But it's funny, isn't it? You think it might be the other way, that even more people would be even closer um, at the front. And, ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, it was amazing that we had three very different races as well. And they all were so close. The first race, obviously, that was a free-for-all at the end. We had four riders separated by a tenth of a second. The sprint races, you said, Gordo, that was really, let's go at it. And in those final couple of laps, he did have that group just start to split a little bit. And then the third race, a very tactical race. Jonathan Ray trying to hold the pace back, trying to just manage everything. It was like a bicycle race at one stage. And then suddenly it's who's going to be able to hit the front and bolt away. So there were three very different races. Yeah, and that group of riders in the second race, uh, you know, had a guy who's only in his second ever meeting in World Superbike and was sitting right on the back of that for a long, long time. And yeah, they were down at super sport pace at some stages. But again, even then, that was impressive that the guy just sat on the back and, and followed all those guys around. He probably learned more in those laps than he did for half of his career. Um, and he ended up finishing seventh. I mean, fantastic. And Max, Maximilian Scheib. Um, again, everywhere you looked, there was good news stories or drama stories all the way down the field. Um, a lot of right being Phillip Island, some people missed out in the races, so we ended up with sometimes the, we didn't get all the points allocated. But it, Phillip Island has always been a war of attrition. It's just never been this closely fought for a while. And it did used to be like this all the time here. Um, and, and certain other tracks, it was like this every weekend. And this is what's made me enthused. It probably won't be quite as many people involved at the other rounds because of the Phillip Island effect. But I don't see any reason why the same four, five, six guys at the front can't be banging ferns the whole season. And it, and when Chaz gets really sorted, he'll be in amongst it properly as well. You look at uh, Batista, Haslam, you know, there could be more people added to this every race competitive uh, scenario that, that happened this weekend. Yeah, and uh, for you, Gordo, what's the biggest story? Is it the five manufacturers being competitive? Is it that we had so many different riders in that front group? Is it the three different winners? I think the main thing is that all the bikes and all the rider combos seem to have the stuff. BMW obviously dropped off and one of their guys uh, obviously got injured. Um, that might actually, bizarrely, even though they've now come with a full-spec bike, maybe the bike that uh, top-end-wise and push-out-of-corners-wise is behind everything now. 
um, even a little, but that's all you need when you're racing this level. Um, I think it's the I think it's the fact that every bike was capable of making the result in the weekend. If Tom had more tire or a better tire choice in race one, he might have hung in there. Um, that's all five, and we saw that all the time. You'd see all five manufacturers of the top six through practice and and into the races. I think that's it because that's what this class is supposed to be. Everybody that makes a bike is supposed to be able to have a competitive one and the balance rules have worked for a long time and it now seems that we've got a spread of riders uh, and an effort from the factories. We've got a new Yamaha, completely new Honda and obviously lots of rider changes. That mixing things up is generally what makes things more open and less predictable um, and we saw the result of that in the weekend. Yeah, and I think for me, whenever you look at just how close everyone was. Obviously, there's the Phillip Island effect. It comes down to the rider an awful lot around this track. We do have close racing here. It's always a bit of an outlier. But while we mightn't have all five manufacturers closely matched at each of the 13 rounds this year, you'd have to think that we're always going to have you know two or three of those bikes that should be competitive at each of the tracks. And it should mean that we, like we said in the preview shows, when we were probably a little bit too optimistic for what we were going to have, that... This is something that we should have all the way through the season. Yes, um, I don't see why not. Obviously, not every rider and every bike is going to go well at every track. Um, but that Honda is already good. The new Yamaha is clearly a little better in every regard. And maybe that's all they need. Um, obviously, top rack Razgat Leoglu made the, the transition to the Yamaha very quickly. Uh, Alex Lowe has won a race in his first weekend on a Kawasaki, even though in testing he was down in 12th. And, uh, you know, he really wasn't happy. But his crew chief, understanding that he needed to actually face the races and that's all that matters, got him to run around forever on, on worn tyres. So when it came to that final race in the hotter conditions, Alex Lowe's actually won the race and beat Jonathan Ray, who has ridden that bike forever and won five World Championships. All all that stuff is, you cannot see anything but optimism for the rest of the season. Obviously, there'll be races where it's not as close as this. Fine. But if this is the, the general standard, then we're in for a great year. Let's start off then with Kawasaki, because that is quite an interesting story all the way through the weekend. Because obviously, Jonathan Ray down and out in the first race, and down and out from his own fault as well. He made the mistakes. He got the red mist, came down after the clash with Tom Sykes, and he just tried to do too much too quickly all the way through those early laps. We saw him ducking and diving underneath riders. We saw him, he made contact with Caracasulo. It was actually such a big contact, Caracasulo's airbag went off. So it showed that he was just trying to make sure he was getting through that field as quickly as possible. And then a couple of corners later, he's a big crash through the hay shed. Yes, um, it showed you, one, how much he wanted to win, and two, how annoyed he was. It just shows that somebody like him, who is the coolest rider you can imagine, he's, he's done what he's done because he keeps a cool head when everything's going off around him. Uh, and yesterday, or, sorry, Saturday, he obviously, it was just uh, very difficult. The re- I think the real reason he fell off is that he just actually ended up on a bit of track that he'd actually not seen all weekend. And Scott Redding mentioned at the beginning of the, the weekend as he was finding his way around on a superbike, uh, that, you know, it's quite bumpy when you go offline. Well, I mean, whoever go, Johnny never goes offline. He's always on his lines and the racing lines, whichever way he chooses to ride. And he obviously found what were pretty significant bumps. It's but trying to go around the outside of, of a, you know, another rider at a corner like that, a very fast corner. He said he crashed at 220Ks or more. Um, just shows you how determined he was to do it. And as you say, maybe just a wee bit too too much red mist um, to come through. Um, it shows he's human after all. It, it shows that the guy's human after all. But that, I believe, uh, one of my Italian colleagues has done a statistical analysis of Jonathan's career since he jumped on the Kawasaki. And he thinks that's the only, I think it's true too, that's the only actual crash that he's had, or, or non-finish, should we say, in a race that was you know, just a crash from him. Everything else has been either a breakdown or uh, someone else has knocked him off or whatever. Um, and that's an amazing record. But it just shows you even something like him can can uh, succumb to the red mist when, it, uh, when circumstances are right. Yeah, f- first non-score since Bruno in 18 when himself and Tom Sykes had a clash together. And again, obviously this comes as a result of that clash with Sykes on the opening lap of the race. What did you make of it as well then, Gordo? Uh, the the irony is that the one camera angle you didn't want to have 
is the one that we had in that fast bit of the track. There's not that many cameras out there, and all it showed was a distant shot of Tom going inside, uh, inside the Kawasaki. You know, I don't know. Obviously, it was a pretty bold move, and they were already both quite on the inside. So yes, you know, Jonathan was clearly annoyed by it. Obviously, thinks it was it was done to him. Um, it looks that way, but until you get four camera angles, you can never really see. No VAR. You know, we we don't have a Time VAR. There's no VAR. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe exactly. But but I didn't see any. Honestly, in the hurley bully of yesterday, I didn't see any other angles in the long shot when they were both coming towards you, and one was uh, behind the other from the point of view of the camera. So yes, I think it was it was obviously yeah a bit tough. We saw during race two how much Johnny was having to manage his tires as well. Yeah. It like Tom did say that he felt that at the time that Johnny had shut off earlier than he had expected trying to manage the tyre already at that stage of the race. You think is that the case as well? Um, you'd have to be there with the two of them to see and every rider's going to have a different opinion. Um, Jonathan also said that in, uh, later in one of the races that when he was about to make a passing move, someone basically shot off in the middle of the corner. At Phillip Island, when it's fast and big and wide and you're jostling for position, you can. there's 10 ways of going around every corner at the same speed. So, yeah, there could be something in that. Uh, but end of the day, early in the race, give each other space. No, you don't win it in the first race. Easy to say from here. But yeah, I think if everybody had their time again, they might have done something a bit differently in that situation. All of them. You, we move on to Sunday then for Jonathan Ray. And obviously, a tough day for him. He had just lost his granny. Turns up for the Super Bowl race. Yeah. Clearly, incredibly motivated to go out and win that race. And he did go out and win. He had great performance in the Super Bowl race. Oh, I mean, top draw, really, you know, especially after the nature of what happened on on Saturday. To get yourself together with that emotional turmoil that must have been going Um No, quite amazing. Uh, he's he's obviously a very tough cookie, Jonathan, but he's a human being like everybody else to overcome all the feelings he must have had and to be so determined that it was quite obvious that he really, really was going to win that race. And his reaction to winning, he didn't get much winning he's done. Amazing. And when you look at that race as well, we saw that big battle with Top Rack. Top Rack able to attack into turn four, but uh, Ray's speed through the hay shed where he had the crash the previous day, that was amazing at times. And you saw him able just to make the move on Top Rack through there. And even on that last corner as well, he was just, he wanted that one. And the way he passed on the inside was was amazing because, in, again, you just, you shouldn't really be able to do that. You would set, you're supposed to ruin your uh, exit from the corner, that long last corner, if you go inside. And it didn't happen. Yeah, and the, the one thing that came to my mind whenever we saw it was Rossi against Lorenzo in Catalonia in 09. That last corner move, last lap move, a place where you don't see overtaking moves. And Ray just came in, stubbed it down the inside. He said that he felt he had more tyre underneath him, but to still have that more tyre, to still be able to do that, really impressive. He did talk. He did use the phraseology of uh, putting it down the inside, throwing it down the inside. So I think he really just was going to do it anyway. But the thing is, lots of people have tried that pass, but it doesn't work. He did it yesterday, and it worked. And you notice when he came down the main straight, he stayed right out to the right hand side. Everybody pulls over so that nobody tries to come past you on the slipstream on the inside. And you know that you know. So it obviously shows the bikes are quite well matched because Jonathan was able to stay ahead. Normally, you'd be able to use the slipstream to come out. But I think that also might have thrown uh, top right because ultimately everybody pulls over to the left. So if he was maybe waiting for Jonathan to pull to the left, I would lo- I'd love to talk to him again, to Jonathan again, to find out exactly what why he did what he did. But he had so many things to talk about yesterday. I think I've got 10 minutes of tape of him. Yeah, whenever we were chatting to him afterwards, it really was bang, bang, bang all the way through. There was so much to talk about for him, whether on a personal side, whether on the racing side. And... This was one of those races where, again, everyone was able to have fun during that race as well. They were all able to battle. Scott Redding talked about it afterwards where, you know, in that race in particular, much more so than in race two, whenever the pace was a lot slower. He said during the Super Bowl race, he was really able to see just how high a level the world superbike riders are because you could have a battle. You could go bar to bar, toe to toe, nearly have contact with one another, lots of different things. But there was that level of respect for one another and there was still that hard but fair racing was right on that line. The word they used is an old-fashioned word is racecraft. And that was it. Everybody out there had a strategy that they had to keep rethinking because 
uh, everybody, you have an idea what you're going to do, then someone does something else and stops that idea happening. Everybody after that first race came back and said, oh, I was going to do this, but but then he passed me or, or he slowed down in the wrong place or whatever. And they had to rethink. And that, I think, is what Redding, Redding thought he had a couple of those races taped, but other people did something that, as he said, well, I, you know, I would have done that. You know, to to to, I would have taken that action that stopped Reading doing what to do. Everybody had the strategies going, and it all ended up in, in what we saw with those fantastic races. Yeah, Scott was really interesting about that. So we'll actually we're playing the audio from Scott talking about that racecraft as well. To be honest, it's the racecraft, like how smart the riders are. In BSB, I had a big advantage because they don't have the racecraft and experience like I've had, and I've learned from many years in GP. So I can control the race from behind. Whereas here, you've got guys that are doing the same thing. So you've got to try and be one step ahead again. But it's very difficult when you've got a guy that's multi-time world champion, feeling confident. He's been in that position, I don't know how many times. So it's one of them things where I'm trying to learn more from him now with these tires in those races, everyone overtaking, are they saving, are they pushing? And I got a take all that information and see what the guys are doing and I think I handled it quite well just maybe the last race I wouldn't say I wasn't ready but I just couldn't get past when I wanted to go to them make a move to the to the Kawasaki's on the on the last lap or two well I had a fucking good old battle out there I think uh, from TV side it must have been impressive for you guys because I was pretty fucking shook up a couple of times <laughs> uh, especially with Top Rack the way he overtakes you know he comes very late and very straight there's no room for error like if you don't if you don't accept he's coming through you have big contact and you lose time to the guy in front so you've got to ride smart and expect like again Alvaro tried to stay on the outside and me it was risky for both of us because I was struggling with the front and him maybe not as much so he was turning in and I was just locking the front like no, nowhere to go but it was pretty clean racing you know we, we people did bang bars but it was on the edge and I think it was amazing, you know, people battling and even for me, I was thinking, right, I need to do this, I need to go there, that guy's doing that. So from the TV, I, I need to watch the race back because for sure you guys, you don't even know who was going, when they was going and yeah. that makes it exciting for, for you guys and, and for the riders. And Gordo, Scott Redding there just talking about the differences between BSB and World Superbikes and most importantly, the differences in his level compared to what he was up against in BSB. Years and years of racing in MotoGP and racing in the Grand Prix classes. It teaches you an awful lot about racecraft. It teaches you about how to approach a race week. And uh, for Scott Redding, that obviously played through all the way through this week, just having to step up to World Championship again. Yeah, the best rider training there is is to be inside the Grand Prix paddock. It's the highest form of the sport. Nobody's arguing that. Nobody's ever had has ever argued that. Ultimately, it's better training than any anything else. Uh, he's been exposed to riding against the best riders in the world, where every single thing you do, every corner counts, or it will count against you in the results. He his training with the electronics, with the different types of bikes, etc., is huge against the best riders. So going from MotoGP to BSB would have been a uh, in some ways an eye-opener for him with the tracks he was riding on etc but also he brought all that experience that he could use and you have to learn fast in, in MotoGP or you are struggling all weekend you have to get yourself sorted with your best data at the beginning and then you have to use that and your experience on track to make improvements on the bike you can only go faster by getting your bike and your tyres and your strategy working better you can ride as hard as you like if you don't have the right training or something like Reading or the guys in World Superbike to a degree because obviously you've got electronics and you've got they've all come from national racing and they've moved into that category. Then but the, the highest form of that is Grand Prix. That's how you train riders is to get them to ride Grand Prix. The one two five two stroke was the best training tool in the world. That's what some of the older guys say now about Moto three is a slight problem. There's not as much criticality in it all and Moto two when you're using the same engines Again, you're not able to make the... You could do your jetting or your, your 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 race prep much better than the other guy. So they bemoan the loss of that, but in terms of GP, it's still for everything from racecraft. To how, how, is, how do you make the bike better in the pits to go and win? That's the pinnacle. And he's brought that to BSB last year, and he's brought that here. He hasn't forgotten anything when he went to BSB. He probably just learned even more. What was interesting with Scott as well was... Um, we'll get back to 
talking about some of the other topics with Kawasaki as well in a moment. But what was interesting about Scott was he said and he admitted that at one stage he wasn't sure if he was going to be good enough to race a superbike. He had heard for years that he wouldn't be able to adapt, that he wouldn't be good enough to be able to race in superbikes. And he said that it was really important for him to come here this weekend, have a good weekend, and then give himself that belief again. Yes, um, and I think, I mean, I always thought he was going to be fast and I, I, I didn't see any reason why, given all the experience and riding a Ducati last year, there wasn't any reason why he wasn't going to turn up here and be instantly good. Um, and he tested well and everything else. Uh, I, I, I think that the guy is obviously a breath of fresh air. He's come here with the right attitude. He's, he's all, he, he talks a lot and he's, he's obviously super confident. But he's, he's approached this with the right way of learning, getting the bike right, and then going and doing it. Um, and that's the way that's the way to succeed. Um, he's an awesomely experienced guy. You keep saying about how inexperienced he is. Well, I couldn't disagree more. He's just not experienced here. Yeah, over 200 Grand Prix starts. <laughs> and as you said, Gordo, that's the white-hot crucible of racing. And for Reading, he really has been able to take those experiences, go to BSB and remember how to win races and then come here to World Superbikes, three podiums in his first weekend. As he said himself, it's not bad going. Yeah, it's great. And um, he's, he, he's the way he goes about things, the way he talks, he's just eminently quotable. He's He is a superbike rider, a World Superbike rider of the old school. All those guys that were painting their hair green and falling out with each other and calling their pet Vietnamese pigs by their rivals' names and stuff. There's an element of that in Scott, and we've missed that. Everybody's partly because of sponsorship and more money in the sport, maybe. But everybody's got, uh, what Kenny Roberts used to say, a case of the sugar mouths. They don't like getting involved in spats and so on. And Scott's not scared of it. So he's in, in one hand, he's shown complete respect for his rivals. And when someone does something good, he says so. But he's also got that inner drive and confidence that's already shown in the first meeting. I think the big test for Scott this year is going to be, he's going to go through a, a full series of races that he's uh, all Grand Prix tracks and BSB track even in Assen um, before he gets anywhere that he's never been before I think the big test will be Imola in a strange way exactly like it was for Batista last year yeah, it's going to be very different for Scott compared to what we had with Batista about the time we got to that point but he looks like he's come in here with the right approach. He looks like he's come in here with the right attitude. And he looks like he's come in here because he wants to race here as well. And that's a really big thing for any rider. Yeah, he's proved himself in BSB completely in one year. And he could prove himself here in, in one year. This is how you, if you're him, I would imagine that ultimately he's always going to want to go back to MotoGP as long as he gets a good ride. Um, and winning BSB... And then winning at least a ton of races in World Superbike will be the way to do that. Um, I think he does respect the championship now. We've heard him say things in the past. It's, it's the general attitude in MotoGP. They always look down on, on World Superbike. Fine. Um, but I think he's now realised that even though he was in the fight for the win three times, he finished third three times. He didn't win one of those races. And in theory, his Ducati is still faster than most things out there. Um, and it wasn't him three times. It was also him three times. So there's still things he needs to do. He's got to learn. And he knows that. And again, instantly, he was saying, I've learned a lot. Do we have work to do? Yes, etc." That That's the way forward for him. He's, he's, he's using his loaf, as we say. Well, as you said, there was three riders that won the races. Let's go back to one of those. We were talking about Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki earlier on. Let's talk about his teammate as well. Alex Lowe's leaves here, leading the World Championship for the first time in his career. It's the first time in over two years, I think, since Jonathan Ray was beaten on a race weekend by his teammate in terms of the total points that they've earned. Lowe's came in, spent the time during the two days of the test really focusing on his long runs, and it really paid off once we got to the race weekend. Yeah, I mean, his performance was was really cool and, and it was keeping a cool head, obviously listening to the team. It wasn't going well for him in testing and through the winter. He's been so frustrated at losing so much track time in winter testing. He should have arrived here better prepared, but he also, by the only time it really matters on the race weekend itself, he got prepared for the races and he was ready for them. And he showed no fear. And he's ridden that Yamaha for a long time. Um so it was a big change, and the Yamaha's even got a different engine configuration internally. So it would feel different. So that, to me, has been the most impressive thing. Him winning races this year, sure. No, I mean, absolutely, you would imagine he would. But first time out, 
That is, I think that's very impressive, especially uh, given that Jonathan was in the race that he won. Yeah, and I think that the one thing for this weekend in particular, whenever you talk to Lowe's during the test, when you talk to him after Friday practice, he was talking in terms of, I want to be able to finish inside the top five each of these races. I want to be able just to have a nice, solid, consistent weekend and just move on to the next race because he had thought it was going to be tough. And then suddenly you're in that battle for the win in race one and everything changes because suddenly you know you're going to have chances over the course of that weekend. You miss out by, what was it, seven thousandths of a second to top rack in race one. Race two obviously was a bit different for him. He struggled a little bit to get the new tyre to work, he said, earlier in the week. Maybe in the shorter race, this was a factor for him. Mm -hmm. But again, still right there in the battle. And then we haven't seen too many riders go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jonathan Ray and pick up a win. No, absolutely. Um, and I think also that... The Whatever any racer says about, oh, I'm going to take a, a calm approach and so on. When you put them in the middle of a race and give them a sniff of a podium or a win, then it all takes over. And, and that's why they got to the level they are. Um, it's all very well saying, oh, such and such tried too hard. Well, okay, but you never get anything unless you really try. Um, and Alex, when he realized that it was all on, not just thought, oh, I'll try it. He actually did it. And, it's, it is strange, but the, the thing is, any one thing different earlier in the lap and all those race results could have been completely different. Everybody won a race this weekend. Uh, I hate to say it, but everybody won a race this weekend. There was a slight element of luck in it, even just because one of the rivals did something wrong or one of the rivals had their tyre drop off on the last lap. Yeah, and this was one of those race weekends where no one was settling for a podium. Everyone wanted to try and win and... Mm -hmm. There was nothing where anyone was thinking anything other than I can get to the front of this and win. Vandermark was fast all the way through the week and doesn't come away with a podium, but he was in the right place at the right time almost all the way through the races, yes. but just not whenever it actually counted. Just lost tyre. Each race, he just lost tyre. The, the, the short race, the, the setup just didn't work the way he wanted to, and he was still right there, but he didn't get his, his podium. Jonathan said he would have put a sneaky wee bet on Vandermark after seeing his race pace early in the weekend. He thought mm, Vandermark's going to be the problem and then you've got a podium. Yeah, the problem with that was as well, Johnny turned to me whenever he was saying the smart people were going straight down to the bookies to put money on Vandermark. <laughs> I did that. I put money on Mike. I had a tenner on him. And, uh, you know, he looked like he looked like he was going to pay out at one stage. But, you know, I think when... And we'll we'll have a quick listen to what Alex had to say after the race now as well. But I think when we look at all of those battles, the key thing was the races just went so fast for the riders. They were all able to enjoy the races. This was the kind of race where, you know, I said it on, on Saturday night, this is the kind of races where you work for free because everything's easy for us. You know, you're able to commentate or write or photograph exciting races. And it's whenever... It's the other end of the scale that you have to earn your money. This was one of those great weekends for everyone in the paddock. Yeah, I've never seen the paddock as happy uh, for a long time and consistently. Um, and the feedback, that's the thing that gets me, is that we do our own thing in World Superbike. There's this great big monolith above us called MotoGP and I've been receiving messages from people I never thought would, would, would be watching it. And they were all completely engaged. It's the external interest that World Superbikes lost, not the internal interest or the quality or anything else. That's just not the case. But what has happened is there's been a focus on other things. And now everybody, everybody is totally compelled to see that and hoping that the next time out we're going to get an equally good race. Totally enthused by it. Everybody in the paddock noticed. Every, everybody in the paddock is now walking a wee half inch taller and a wee spring in their step. And why not? It's been long enough that we've, uh, we've not had racing like that. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And first, we'll just hear from race two winner Alex Lowe's. Yeah, obviously, I knew I knew when it got a lot hotter, it's going to play into our hands. The amount of laps I've worked really hard on the on the old tyres, and Marcel sort forced me to work hard on the old tyres. So when the, <laughs> the bike was uh, when the grip dropped, I knew that I was probably going to be more comfortable than the other guys due to the laps we've done all week. And uh, but in the race. So so many people hitting everybody and Johnny trying to control the pace and Baz hit me a few times and then come together with Torrex hard just to stay calm. But in my head I kept going past the people thinking, relax, stay calm, you, you've got your, you've got the pace the last ten laps, relax, relax. And then uh, yeah, in the end I uh, luckily had a bit more grip than the other guys. But uh, yeah, great start with Kawasaki. Uh, obviously this track is a little bit strange. 
So I need to just enjoy the moment and then go to Qatar and, and re refresh, see where we stack up. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really satisfied with the first weekend. Yeah, one thing I will say with, with, with the bike is that I found it easier in a race situation compared to the to what I've had in the past. I found it easier to be in a better position to pass or block the pass or pass back, which is the Yamaha. It was always more difficult in the race. So this was the opposite, which you know, good gives me good confidence going forward. So the enthusiasm, Gordo, that we're having within the paddock for this, this is a weekend where everyone comes away, as you said, feeling a little bit of a spring in their step. Everyone's got that bit of a buzz. Everyone's got it where everyone is always interested in Phillip Island. This is always the one round of the year where MotoGP fans, people working within MotoGP, this is the one round where they watch because... Well, we haven't had bike racing for three months. What are you going to do? I'm going to sit down and, and I'm going to set the alarm. And I'm going to get up and watch Phillip Island. And this weekend is one where, you know, for me and you over the last few years, obviously, since I came to World Superbikes, I've always loved this paddock. I've always been coming to this paddock, even whenever I was working in MotoGP. But over the last few years, you get more and more into it and you really do see just how high the level is. And this was a weekend where you know, the whole paddock can hold their head up high and we're able to say, you know what, the racing that we can have here is as good as anything you get anywhere. Absolutely. And it just needed that, uh, as I say, a mix-up. I think they need to move up people around. There's new bikes. We've got Honda with a, a proper, proper thing. Uh, everybody's realised they're going to have to up their game because when that gets really going, they're, they're going to have to. Yamaha realised they needed to get a new bike. They needed to maybe shake up their rider lineup. Uh Kawasaki the same. Um, all through the field, you're looking at strong packages. And the fact that we don't have 30 riders, some people criticize, oh, you could have more riders and so on. Well, why? Because you're not going to get another 10 better riders than the people in the top 10 or 12 of this championship now. It's just not going to happen. So we've got actually exactly the right balance now. The rules working. The tires are working. They used the, there was new tires here as well. Um, it is the nature of the track here to make the racing close anyway but everything worked this weekend the way it's supposed to that if you were sitting there in your big leather chair king of the world trying to say right how can how can we make a great world superbike weekend at the first time out and, and show a good image of this championship well those those races and everybody's reaction to them is how you do it yeah and the big thing for me was obviously we heard from Scott Redding talking about the level of world SPK. We were talking during the preseason preview podcasts about, you know, there could be 11, 12 riders that can all win a race. As you said there, Gordo, you don't need to have 30 riders in the field. You just need to have that level of competition. And we do have that now, a good spread of bikes, five different bikes that all should be able to get to a very competitive level throughout the course of the season. And it does shape up nicely for us. Yeah. This is the best base I've seen for a long time. Um, and again, PI can flatter to deceive in some regards, but the only people you're looking at that might have some work to do to for the rest of the season to be competitive absolutely everywhere is BMW, ironically. And their bike is great. There's not, absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, and maybe when we get to the more uh, the less top speed and slipstreaming and, and big corner entry, and, uh, you know, once you get somewhere where the engine isn't quite as much of a factor all the time, then they could be right there as well. Well, let's talk about BMW now as well. But, but before we just really dive into the details of BMW, you mentioned the engines. Other than Loris Baz, who was using the 2019 engine, everyone was very close to one another here in Phillip Island, really. Honda had Bautista with his top speed advantage. A lot of that obviously carrying forward from Ducati, his size as much yes. as anything else. Sure. But during the race, we saw that you know, Scott Redding wasn't blasting past anyone on the Ducati. The Kawasaki and the Yamaha were really closely matched. All of those bikes seem top ends that they weren't too far off. And then, you know, when Sykes had the grip in his rear tire, he was still able to fight down the straight as well. So it does look like in terms of just outright speed, maybe Philip Island's a bit different because you're coming off a third, fourth gear corner at the end of the straight or just leading onto the straight. But maybe we have it where there is that good balance right now between all the different riders and their bikes right now, because obviously for Scott Redding, Chaz Davis, they are a lot heavier than some of the other riders just by virtue of their size. And that is a big factor that we need to take into consideration. Uh, maybe things would have been different if Batista was still in a Ducati because he would just be able to fly past people and overtake them everywhere. He'd less mass to brake, less mass to accelerate and a tiny, tiny frontal area down the street. Um, but that's actually 
a good thing. If that's the way it is, great. If that makes it more level, fine. If that's a self-imposed weight uh, limit, okay. Uh, actually, a, a little birdie did tell me that the, the people in Ducati are already uh, chivying to try and get their 250 revs back again for partly for that reason, that it's just a different ball game for them this year. They don't have that little tiny 30 kilo lighter rider. Well, as we, we've always talked about whenever we talk about the rev limits, it's always worth noting the 250 that Ducati lost is a lot less than the 1400 that Kawasaki lost a few years ago. Absolutely. Um, in the days when there was much more open tuning and there was much more factory ability to make the bikes faster. Um, so the balancing rules are working. They have worked for a while, um, but they really do work now. And and I think that we saw that. We I kind of did expect that Reading might be able to, because he was so close, he might be able to pull out and pass people right over the line. That's the theory. If we go on last year's experience, well, the reality is different. But for the overall spectacle and the benefit of the championship, it's probably a good thing. Well, it's definitely a good thing um, to have everybody fighting that close. All we want is everybody to be able to compete. And I don't see that right now that is impossible. And remember, Tom smashed the Super Bowl record. When he's not having a fight with riders and so on, um, and he's got mega grip from his tyre, he, 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 he broke the, the record. Yeah, and let's talk about that as well, because the reason I wanted to talk about BMW first is just because Tom took the that pole position, his 50th pole of his World Superbike career, and again, whenever that bike's working for him, he can do things like that. I mean, his ability and his speed is, he's quite often the fastest rider in World Superbike. It's just, if you could get him to do it for 22 laps, that's why he won a World Championship and nearly won three. His ability is, is unquestioned. It's also in a very bizarre area set up, in a very bizarre area riding style. Um, some people have always said to me, John, you know, that, that he should have went to MotoGP because his riding style is a perfect fit for a lighter, more powerful, more extreme bike. The, ha the, the crazier the bike you give Tom, the more he seems to be able to make it go fast. And, the problem is keeping it going fast for 22 laps. That is his only problem. But he has got a very cookie set up in riding style. Um, and it's not working as soon as you don't get any tire grip, it stops working. A bit like the previous greatest uh, qualifier in history of World Superbike, Troy Corsair, who rode in one fashion, no matter what bike he had, and no matter what tire he was on, and no matter what team he was in, he rode the same way. He had exactly the same riding style. And when you gave him a tire to do the races, he won two World Championships and a bucket of races. And the test of how, who, who's the fastest rider is a one-lap thing. But that doesn't make you world champion. And just when we look at Tom, obviously in the races we saw that he fell like a stone when the tyres started to drop off. But it was one of those interesting things in race one in particular where Tom's at the front of that group and then suddenly one rider goes past him, it was Scott Redding, and then suddenly every other rider says, fuck it, it's time, we got to go. And yeah. suddenly in the space of one lap, Tom goes from the lead to sixth and then suddenly he drops down to I think it was seventh or eighth, he was at the flag. And we've seen that happen with Tom a lot. If he can front run and get away from them, that's fine. He, he's he, he's perfectly capable of battling, and as we touched on earlier, with Jonathan, maybe too much battling. Um, but it do, it seems to be that once they get to him and, and someone passes and puts him off his stride, he can't take those perfect lines. He's incredible at defending and going fast. And everybody says he's almost impossible to pass when he's he's doing everything right. You've got to wait for a wee mistake, or you've just got to barge past him. Um, and there was a bit of an element there. But it is funny with Tom. As soon as someone goes past him, it seems to be four or five or six people can do it all at once. And Tom doesn't have an instant response. It's it's a strange thing for a guy with his experience that if, you know, if, if I was sitting there as a sports psychologist or a coach or someone, I'd be trying to work on that with Tom. Because if he could fight back right away and only lose one position at a time, he probably would get more podiums and, and, and obviously stronger weekends. When you look at uh, Tom, obviously there's, that pole, that pole position, good pace at times during the race, but it was in stark contrast to his teammate Eugene Laverty. And Eugene obviously misses out on Sunday's races, so we didn't really get a full picture of what he could have done this weekend. But he looked lost at times this weekend. He was. Um, they had some issues. Uh, the, the, there was definitely a lot of setup issues. Things pushed them into corners and so on. It was very, very tricky weekend after all the the, the increasing promise through testing. Um, and obviously culminating and uh, he, he, he crashed and uh, couldn't make the, ra the races on Sunday. Uh, yeah, it's a bit tough. And I think the, the problem is 
partly because there's a, a guy in the, ga- the other side of the garage that's got such a different way of going about things. Um, it's been a long time since Eugene uh, was really in competitive races here. He's been Aragon, I remember. Uh, he, he, he's really good showing and he had some good rides on the Aprilia, but it took a long time to get the Aprilia working as well. Um, maybe it's just you need more testing time and time working with a new team than you can get in World Superbike anymore. Uh, and they have tested. Um, but yes, lost, that's kind of the impression I got as well. It'd be interesting to see how he bounces back in Qatar because obviously Phillip Island has been a happy hunting ground in the past for Eugene. He's been able to win here on two different bikes and uh, he's had podiums here. He's won in the Supersport class as well. He's had strong results, but uh, this weekend just never really seemed to click with it. And that's where missing out on Sunday's races really is important. But Gordo, it was quite important for you know, racing in general, just to see that there was that importance being placed on that concussion protocol as well. We had Garrett Gerloff ruled out. We had Eugene Laverty both ruled out with that. Yeah, the, the concussion is the, the the biggest thing that all sports are taking seriously. One, because of the potential uh, for injury immediately after, but also for long-term damage to people. The riders are the last people that should be determining these things. I remember sitting out, I won't mention the rider, but a factory Ducati rider a few years ago who was sitting, uh, who clearly banged his head, was sitting there speaking and talking and everything else, but his eyes were glassy and he wasn't quite there and he was all ready to go. And basically he's, he's rider handler and me and a couple of other people were just saying, mm, no mate, go and see, you know, you can't do it. They've now got all those protocols in place to stop them. And that's the way it should be. There was one time in Martin Brundle talks about it whenever he was racing in Formula One. He had a big crash in Monaco and uh, he came back to the pits, sat back into the, into the second car and uh, knew something was wrong because he didn't know whether to turn left or right to get out of the pits. But he was foolish enough not just to wait for another car just to drive past. And instead, Brundle asked his crew chief, "Uh, which way do I turn? And then the crew chief just said, obviously, right, switch it off. That's us done for the day. But it does show the changes that we've seen. Yeah, and it's all for the better. I know people don't like it and any changes is is hated by some people and that's fine. But when it comes to the rider's well-being, especially what does your head do? It makes you think. And if your thought process is wrong, then it's other people that you've got to worry about as well. A rider can overcome an injury through gritty teeth and adrenaline and the painkillers applied in the right places at the right time. Um, we've seen it many and often, but you cannot deal with a, with, with even 1% drop in uh, cognizance. You just can't do it. Um, and it's quite right that they do all the tests to say no. You see it in rugby, you see it in all sorts of sports now. And in bike racing, there aren't many more dangerous things you can do as a sportsman than race motorbikes at 200 mile an hour. So safety first all the time. It had an effect on the races yesterday. We lost two riders. Camer obviously couldn't ride, but beforehand he'd realised he just couldn't do it with his shoulder. So we ended up with a much smaller field. Did anybody see the lack of that as a spectacle? Was it a problem for the organiser or anybody else? No, because the racing was amazing. And safety first for the riders. They're the last people that should be deciding if they're fit or not. Well, let's talk about Garrett Gerloff as well then, Gordo, because he came in, World SBK debut, straight away into the top six, seven, eight positions in race one. Now, he cooked his tyre in race one, but... God, I really wanted to see him out in, in, in the Sunday races as well, just to see how much he would have learned from that. Yeah, and every time I've spoken to him, a lovely guy, really good guy, great advert for Moto America and, and bringing national riders to this championship. He's he's the guy. I think everybody's rooting for him to, to do well. Uh, in test, has been a little bit tough, uh, but his attitude's still been good, quiet, working on it. And when he went in that race, I just thought, wow, what's happened there? Set up or whatever. Obviously, being Philip Island and him not understanding the tyres in the race yet, it was obviously where it was going to go when he saw the pace he maintained because he was really going for it. You kept seeing him in the back of the, that leading group all the time. It's never going to last. It's not, you know, when you get that experience your first time and, and last year's bike and all that, all the things that were there. But that happened to Troy Bayless when he came back from MotoGP. He came here and his crew were saying, you need to baby the tyres, baby the tyres. He went out. Absolutely smashed everybody for, he was miles ahead. And then his tyre just went completely. And even a guy like him couldn't manage it and it dropped away way back. When he came in, he'd gone so hard for so long, so fast at the beginning. His tyre came in and it was actually flattened 
on the left hand side of the crown. It was it was a bit torn up and all that, but he'd actually worked it so hard. It was it, it wasn't round anymore. It wasn't round when you look at it front to back. It went round completely flat for about three inches, almost out of the canvas, and then round again. So even somebody like him could do it. And he just he was used to racing MotoGP where they had much harder tires and much more durable tires and prototype tires, um, and not at Phillip Island. Um, and it was just, you know, you cannot go that fast that hard unless you're Alvaro Bautista last year. Yeah, that's the one thing, you know, Bautista, he did show us that it is possible, even though like it was always interesting whenever you look back last year, his race time was only a couple of seconds faster than what Marco Melandri had done the year before. But it's always your relative race pace yeah. and he was able to do things that no one else could do. But speaking of that... There's one rider that we've seen do things that no one else can do at different times. Top rack rides, Kenny Hogler. And uh, I tell you what, that performance that he had, race one and the Super Bowl race, he was great. First time on the Yamaha, different engine from the car, different engine style with the, the cross-plane crankshaft. So it's like a V-twin nearly. A complete and a new bike this year. So there was all the stuff they had to do with all the, the new items on the bike. It's basically a, a a very heavily revised old bike, but all the things were designed for racing. They've obviously all worked by half a percent or one percent or whatever better than the previous one. The sum total, top rank who we know we can win races, went out in his first weekend and won the first race. Yeah, I mean, you you couldn't make it up. And a battling race, all the all the qualities that he's got were totally to the fore in, in the way that he won. Um, and then afterwards you talk to him about it and he's just all cool and relaxed and yeah, yeah, you know, I'm glad I won and all that. It's, it's amazing. He's, he's so different from everybody else, Top Rack. Yeah, Top Rack is very much unique out there. But the one thing about him, Gordo, before he came to this bike, we all sort of said, I don't know, like Top Rack, he's always a rider that's very hard on the front. He's a rider that needs to break heavy. As long as he's got that front end feel, he can do whatever he wants. But he's shown, you know, He's talent and he's able to adapt to a different bike. And Phillip Island in particular, this was a track where he struggled last year. Not so much in terms of his speed or anything like that. When you talk to the crew that he was with last year, they talked about how his riding was a struggle here last year. He was super aggressive. They spent the whole way through the test and the races just trying to calm him down, trying to make sure that he was able to understand that at Phillip Island, it was all about trying to be consistent. It wasn't about trying to have, just open the gas and try and be fast at every opportunity. It was about trying to learn from it. And he certainly put those lessons to good use this year. Oh, I, I mean, it was just absolutely masterful the whole way he went about things and, he, he, I think he's one of those riders that everything's happened quite slowly. It's not that he just doesn't he get he doesn't get flustered particularly. He said he was incredibly nervous before the first race. I mean, really, like he hadn't been for ages because he suddenly thought, "Wow, I'm a factory rider." Because remember all the stuff he did last year, he wasn't even a factory rider winning races. So, it, you know, that status was important to him. It's part of the reason he went to Yamaha to be a guaranteed factory rider this year. Um, and he was nervous, but you wouldn't know it looking at him in the race. It was just absolutely masterful. And, you know, that that you can't buy that. That is talent. And as I say, I think everything just happens at half speed for him. He can think his way through things. He's got a cool head, um, although he rides like, you know, he, he rides very, very on the edge. Uh, one of the riders yesterday did actually say that, the that, that, you know, the way Top Rack passes, I think I may have read, the, the way Top Rack passes... Um, was is very late and so on, uh, which is shades of Marco Melandri. But at the same time, it's he wasn't complaining and saying, oh, it's out of order or anything. It's just his style is, no, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it now. Um, and, that, and it's a great mix. You can't buy talent. When you ask any motorbike racer of any era, what's the most important thing? And none of them say, oh, it's momental preparation. It's, uh, uh, yeah, that's all important. But all of them just say, oh, it's talent. The, it's the ability they they say why did you you ask him why did you become a top level motorbike racer and other guys didn't they just say look talent you know talent um, you know they all believe they're better than the next guy yeah talent and then when talent is combined with hard work that's where you've got something like you know your Mark Marquez's that is more talented than any other rider but also harder worker than any rider and when you talk to Phil Marin obviously crew chief for Top Rack he does talk about how much Top Rack has come on over the last year just because of being made to do different things. At uh, times in the past, he was just relying on his natural talent. Maybe he had crew chiefs and engineers that were able to see things that Top Rack could do 
that other riders couldn't do. And it was up to the crew chief just to figure out how to make a stock 600 or a stock 1000 bike or um, whenever he was a rookie in Superbike on that bike just to make sure it worked. Whereas over the last 12 months, Phil's really taken a big step in trying to make sure that Top Rack is much more involved in the whole process of trying to get that bike working, the debriefs, different things like that. Top Rack's English has come on leaps and bounds and that's a that's a good sign of just how much he's working as well. Yes, I mean the hard work, I totally agree. You have to put in the level of effort, you have to put in the hours at the screens, you have to put the, the time sitting thinking about it, how do it. This is all work and you have to do a lot of it. What you have to do also though, and the reason why some people are successful and some people aren't and why it's working for them now is the right work. You can practice all you like. If you're not doing it right, you'll never get any better. You have to be, you have to work hard, but more importantly, you have to work well. Then when you combine it with the hard work, if you're working properly in the right direction and working well and learning, then you add the work ethic into it. That's what makes people unbeatable. That's what moves riders above the other guy. It's, it's not just effort. It's doing things correctly. And obviously that, uh, relationship between Phil and Toprak, they're getting the best out of each other. Um, and, you, but, you know, the bike's got to be right underneath them or he won't be able to do anything with it. No matter how hard he tries. Yeah, it's about working smart, not working smart. hard. Yeah, exactly. And uh, let's hear what Toprak had to say after that first race victory for Yamaha. I need the safety tyre, but okay, I follow Redding and Michael is okay, but after last four laps, we start to push. But problem, I feeling last two laps and uh, rear tires. I check again after race and broke bike just sliding, not grip. I open gas just spinning, but last lap I'm scared last corner because I try. I, I open gas, bike not go, just spinning. I'm scared close, but I'm. In. And it was stark contrast, Gordo, between Saturday and Sunday for Top Rack. By the time we got to Sunday's races and the technical problem in race two, Top Rack had had two podiums and the team were expecting to be able to win another race or challenge for another win. And when I went into the box after after the race had finished, I was talking to Phil and you know I was asking how he was feeling and he just he felt like an absolute gut punch just not to be able to finish this weekend really strong because that's one of the key things this year it's on those racetracks where you're feeling good you have to come away with three good results yeah i mean i think the thing is that because it's racing and you're only ever as good as your last result that yamaha garage between saturday and sunday was just a completely different place you walked in on sunday and yeah everybody's doing their work and getting on but there was just a wee dark mood going on which was Bizarre, given how well things went for everybody on the weekend. Okay, no podium for Van der Mark, um, and the, the, the problem they had on Sunday. But they won the first race of the year on a new bike with a new rider and everything else. You know, the, the first time Crescent won a race at World Superbike was with Eugene Lagin on a Lavertite on a Suzuki. Uh, and the team manager was in tears walking down Pitway and it meant so much to him. And yesterday, uh, sorry, Saturday, uh, he was nearly there again at the win, first time out with the, the, the new bike and the new rider and everything else and a big change, um, it means that much to people. Conversely, on the Sunday, it was absolute stone faces and yeah, they're all doing their jobs a bit. I mean, they were really, they, they really were. You got punched. They were raging. But I, I don't think you can come away from this weekend with anything. If you look at a neutral viewer thinking that was a great debut for that Yamaha, the team, everything. And even though there was no podium for Michael, how close was he? It could easily have been three wins for Michael. So that's what I'd be, you know, once the emotion's gone out of it, you, that's what you take from this weekend. Yeah, and let's talk about Mikey then as well, because obviously he had the pace during the test sessions. He put himself into position to be able to try and win the races this weekend. He came away very disappointed with himself for not being able to have those podiums and race wins. But again, another really strong foundation for him. Yes, absolutely. Everything was right, except the long first long race, couple of laps from Andy's tyre really started going. The short race, they just went a slightly wrong way and set up, I guess. Um, they, they, they didn't specify, but the, the bike just, the team said that the bike just wasn't there for him to, to, to win, uh, that race. Um, although he was very close. Uh, and then exactly the same problem was the first race and the, and the final race. Uh, and maybe a wee bit more profound then. Yeah, and obviously in the first race in particular, Vandermark felt that he had the chance to beat Top Rack and he was focused on Top Rack. 
but it ended up where he left himself open to attack from lows down into turn 11 and then that takes you out of sync to be trying able to battle for that race win then in the last corner but uh, that was another one of those races where all he's thinking about is winning he's not thinking about trying to make sure that you have the safe podium that you ride a bit defensively to pick up 20 points he was only thinking about being able to pick up the 25 points and that was that was the thing for me this weekend there was no rider out there playing the percentages they were out there playing to win all the chips were in the middle of the table and it was it, it was great it's exactly what you want to see nobody settled and they shouldn't when they've got a chance to win it's as simple as that that you know you should always go for it if you know you can't do it yeah, if you're smart enough and controlled enough, you you, you just say, okay, I won't take that lunge in the last corner because it's just not going to work. But every racer at that level will go for the win every opportunity. Uh, we've seen actually other some people's World Championship campaigns fall on that. They've gone a wee bit too hard. Um, but it's always the way they're going to be. It's their nature. It's their personality. They're all fighter pilots. They, 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 they all think they're the best. If you can't work up that amount of ego and that amount of belief in yourself uh, you don't get into any sport but you especially don't get into a dangerous sport like motorcycle racing these guys aren't uh, out for a week with a twisted ankle they, they take real risks and they get really hurt when it goes wrong so you have to have a completely iron self-belief well let's talk about a rider that did get it wrong a couple of times this weekend Alvaro Bautista the Honda looks like it's got a good bike particularly here at Phillip Island we saw what Leon Haslam that he could be in that lead group just used the tyre a bit too much in the long race in race one and then got himself out of position for the other two races we saw him clash with Chaz Davis in the Super Bowl race we saw him crash then with uh, Michael Rubin Rinaldi in race two but for Alvaro Bautista he came good as the races went on a lot of that being due to the fact that his tyre just doesn't drop off we saw that here last year as well but for Bautista the two crashes one in Super Bowl and one in the Super Bowl race yes he was uh, he's obviously started the season behind relative to, to Haslam and they've got a completely new bike which has got a very uh, high performance level Um. The, there was a lot of things against them, but being the experience again, we go back to that MotoGP rider with all that experience. They found a way on on the, in the races to be there, but he had a crash. Uh, he but he, he also posted some really good results for the first time out on that bike, and that was a surprise. When you looked at testing, it was just looking terrible. Haslam was looking pretty good. Not as good as he actually showed in that first race. I was surprised that they were that far up um, at this stage. But it's just time. And he missed a bit of time in testing. The weather's not been great for all the teams in testing, but you've got a completely brand new bike. And the biggest thing for Batista is the bike is nothing like he's ridden before. Every you know, when he moved over here last year, he was racing a kind of a kind of derivation of his MotoGP bike. So, and he's raced V4s forever. He's racing a, a, a inline four. We talked about it the other day with the canted forward cylinders and stuff. That just changes the whole distribution uh, and the way the bike responds in the corners and the gyroscopic effects, etc., etc., etc. The grunt of the engine at the corner. I think they overperformed, and I think he overperformed in the races, um, relatively speaking. And then obviously a big crash because and he couldn't explain why. He just said they made a mistake. Um, so that's you know I, I think they were they were good and bad. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that where we saw a little bit more of an elevation in their performance here this week just because it's Haslam's favourite track and in race two in particular, the pace was so slow that Bautista wasn't at the disadvantage that he would have been at ordinarily and able to use those tyres really well. But just before we finish up for today, Gord, we're going to have a quick chat about Supersport as well. But just because... This looks like it could be a really good super sport year as well. You've got, obviously, Andrea Locatelli came in and dominated in terms of his pace all the way through the weekend. But you've got lots of riders that can get into that leading 8, 9, 10 positions. And we could have a really competitive field this year. A lot of new faces, a lot of riders with Grand Prix experience. That, again, we keep talking about it, that does not hurt when you tra when you make a transition. Um Locatelli, quality rider on last year's winning championship winning bike, 
the best Yamaha's of last year were the, the Bardell bikes from what I could, we could see, the balance of them, the overall preparation, whatever it was that made the slight difference. Um, so he was riding the World Champions bike. The World Champion moved over to MV Augusta was incredibly impressive. I think a lot of people thought, mm, he might not be able to make that. It's a different bike, three-cylinder, maybe different. He was absolutely there, and but his race lasted one corner. So uh, when you go through the field and see all those new names and that, you know, the Yamaha is still the best bike to have, but the MVs are right there. The Kawasaki, a trial like this, is always going to struggle uh, just because it's an older bike and the engine isn't quite as peppy as the other ones. It, it's all inches, and Mahias was fifth, but he just got completely done in the last lap by a Yamaha. That won't happen on other tracks when he's able to, to do something about it, but it could be a great year and with a weird half-and-half half race again, which we weren't expecting. Yeah, and I think just when you talk about Kruman Akronair, obviously it was... He jumps the start and then he panics and then he's in the pack yeah. and then he crashes. A terrible start to his season, but there's still 12 races left, an extra race for Supersport through this season. And I think the one thing that I'm going to be really interested in is just that, again, it looks like, and Krumenacker is a good example of this, Krumenacker came across to World Supersport in 2016 and immediately thought, you know what, I can win a world championship here. Couldn't win one in, in the Grand Prix paddock, but I can win one here. And you've got Locatelli thinking the same. Philip Oudel will think the same. You've got Can Onchu has come across as well. You know, I thought Manuel Gonzalez did really well to adapt from a Supersport 300 bike. There's young riders that all give themselves a chance. There's the Grand Prix riders with lots of experience. Like Locatelli had two podiums in the Grand Prix paddock in the Moto3 class. Comes across, immediately able to be competitive, immediately able to win. All of those riders will think their Grand Prix experience means I can come across, win world championships. But you've also got to go up against the natives as well. You've got to go up against your Jules Clouzels that have all that experience in the super sport class. Rafa De Rosa did really well this week as well. Yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of talent in that class, but it is also very open. There's been a lot of riders there for a long time. The you, the faster guys coming in will be able to beat them sometimes and will get beaten by them in other times. Um, that class is maybe the most open one in, in all the classes. Uh because the best riders making the better performances will get there. Super Soul 300 can sometimes be a lottery. Uh, you know, and no disrespect to them, but sometimes it's just a lottery. There's too many riders making too many crazy passes to make you, allow you to shine. In Super Sport, if you're a good rider and you've got a good team, you can shine every race all through the year. And somebody like Locatelli is, is made for that, that. They're all motivated. Those guys that don't have rides in Moto2 anymore or MotoGP anymore are motivated now. They, this is their... Not last chance saloon, but it's a way of proving themselves. And there's no better way of proving yourself than turning up first time and winning. Although everything was in his favour with the team and the bike and everything else. But you've got to do it. Well, Gordo, just before we finish up, who was your star performer of the week? Wow, uh, where do you start? Um, uh, on balance, I think, and over the, the degree of consistency, you have to just say Alex Lowe's because it wasn't shaping up well and it turned out really well and there he is at the top um, it could have gone very differently for him all the pressure of a new the world championship winning team for five years you're the guy coming in you lost your ride at Yamaha you didn't expect it there's a million little boxes you can tick to say Alex Lowe's this weekend but I mean I could totally understand if someone went another way but to me it was Alex because it wasn't looking good and it turned into excellent and a race win first time out and and that's against top rank. It could have been top rank. It, it, it could have been Reading. I mean, part of me really wants to say Reading because he's just come from outside completely. Uh, Reading was great. Um, you know, they could pick any one of the three or four guys. I think for me, Gordo, I definitely think could he, could easily agree with that for Lowe's. But I think top rack on the basis of what he was able to do to be able to come in, go to a new team just like with Lowe's. And, uh, you know, he would have thought at one stage yeah, you're going to be that factory Kawasaki rider. Suddenly then you're waiting to see what other opportunities you can try and find for yourself. You manage to find the factory Yamaha and you make it work right from the outset. But maybe, maybe the biggest star performer of the week, Gordon Ritchie on Eurosport. Did a good job on that. Uh, I've had some feedback. Uh, not all of it complimentary, obviously. <laughs> uh, no, it was funny. It was kind of ad hoc thing. Somebody just asked me and decided to do it. 
Um, and apparently, I even spoke English for a while, which was amazing. You know, I mean, you know, considering. No, I did it, and 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 I know I've known Charlie for a long time. So when Charlie came and said, "Can you do this?" I thought, "Okay, fine. It's no no pressure thing," uh, and I enjoyed it. I mean, it was good. Um, and it was supposed to be done on the grid, but I'm glad it wasn't. I think it'd have been more difficult. That's fine. I, you know, I'm quite happy to do more TV. I enjoy that. As long as there's more money, it's all good, Gordo. Money? What's that? Did somebody say money? <laughs> ah, hold on. Money? Did I also hear you saying that you, you put a tenner on someone? Where did you get a tenner from? I took it from Charlie's wallet, if I'm ultimately honest. Best place to get it, actually. Well, Charlie's the busiest man in uh, in motorsport, obviously, working in MotoGP and also in World SPK. But uh, for us, obviously, Gordo, now the, the big question sort of shifts to Qatar. Round two for the championship. Obviously, MotoGP, we're recording this Monday morning. The Premier Class has just been cancelled for the Qatar Grand Prix. And uh, hopefully we're able to get another round for World SBK because you just really want to be able to see more racing like what we had this week. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, I'm kind of waiting for the email uh, to say maybe it's not happening, but I really hope it does. We're already here. No one really has to travel, so I, I don't think it's quite the same circumstances for us, but we'll see what happens. But uh, another fast track, big fast open track, completely different in some ways and also very similar with all those big wide corners and the ability to slipstream and so on. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that Qatar would be anything other than a fight um, because the the fastest top speed guy is going to be Bautista, but his bike isn't ready. And, you know, Leon said that the, the biggest problem they've got is the throttle response in the fast corners. Well, there's hundreds of fast corners at Qatar like there was here. So maybe that top speed will be negated. It's just, the best thing about it is you have to look in 20 directions this year. Previous years you've had to look in two or three. Realistically, you have to look in two or three. We still don't know how it's going to pan out the rest of the year, but what a start. And I can't see any reason why that can't continue all year. Yeah, and that's the hope definitely for sure. And uh, I'm looking forward to round two already. And uh, thanks again for joining us on the show, Gordo. And thanks again to everyone for listening to the show and giving us your feedback. Obviously, you can uh, listen to us on Spotify and iTunes and uh, SoundCloud. And if you're listening on iTunes, leave a review. It uh, helps everyone find the podcast. And if you want to support the podcast, you can follow us on patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast. We've got uh, lots of different content that's going to be coming through the year, including uh, for $10 a month, you're able to ask a question to myself and Gordo for the Superbike Show or David and Neil for the uh, MotoGP show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Paddock Pass Pod. And uh, again, any feedback you have really is appreciated by all of us. So, from myself, Steve English, from Gordon Ritchie here in what's now a very sunny Phillip Island, we'll uh, sign off and get ready for the Qatar round.